Thank you for joining us on another season of Beyond Clean, a live podcast where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. Beyond Clean is a podcast that is broadcast out of our studios inside Gym Supply in Orlando, Florida. We're always looking for guests at Beyond Clean, so reach out to me, your host, David Thompson, at dthompson at academyofcleaning.com or call us at 888-999-6059. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, let's get started with today's guest on Beyond Clean. Good morning, everyone. This is Dave Thompson, your host here at Beyond Clean with ACE, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. It is the first, well, work Monday of September, and I know that everybody had a special weekend this weekend. We remembered what happened 20 years ago. For some of us, it's much more real for others it's a distant memory and it's kind of interesting as i watched some of the reviews over the last couple days since that um, time of some of the kids that were only a few years old if only um, still not being born and how they do not remember it doesn't mean to them the same thing folks i have to tell you for me I was born on September 11th, quite a long time before that happened, I might add. And for those of you who've been with me before, uh, you can understand. I've been in this industry for quite some time, and we mark things by certain events that happen. And one of the things I'm very happy that happened is I met a gentleman at a trade show, and we struck up a conversation. And here we are. Well, I would say close to 18 months later. And Sean, you're still hanging in there talking with me on Monday mornings. What the heck is wrong with you? Dave, I kind of find you as an interesting individual. You're committed and excited about what you're doing. You're excited about life. And that just flows off of you. And I, I enjoy being a part of it. Well, you know, hey, I, I appreciate that. Um you know, as I turned a year older, people said, well, how do you feel? I said, I haven't hit 65 yet. But man, folks, I got to tell you, I'm right around the corner knocking on the door now. And, you know, there, there are those milestones in our lives. And as most of you know, that have been on the podcast, listen to us. Uh, you know, I, somebody asked me, how do I feel? I said, you know what? Uh, a year and a half ago, I felt like I was 70. Now I feel like I'm 50. And let's keep on moving. <laughs> That's what I like about you, Dave. You just keep on moving, one step, one foot in front of the other. Now, you know, if you've listened to us, folks, uh, before you know that Sean comes on and talks about certain things, I'm going to let you, if you haven't heard from Sean DeVore before, Sean, let's catch up uh, people with who you are, what you do, and what are we going to talk about today? Uh, my name is Sean DeVore. I am a manufacturer's representative for commercial flooring uh, at this moment. I work for Mannington Commercial. I've been with them for close to eight years now. I've been in the commercial flooring business since uh, 1991 and worked in uh, markets such as Chicago, Miami, and South Florida, and as well as North Florida and South Georgia. Uh, I 
enjoy my job being out and about seeing customers. And I just really, really like what I do. Aside from that, today we're going to talk a little bit about carpet maintenance and how to take care of carpet and what levels of expectations are for customers. You know, which is interesting. We usually, Sean, talk about hard floors and predominantly that being uh, luxury vinyl. Um, what do we need to know about carpet itself before we talk about maintenance? Carpet is made up of different types of fibers, different densities, different backings, different construction types. Some of it's modular platformed, uh, two by twos, 12 by 48s, 18 by 36 platforms and modular. And then we still have the six foot uh, material made by Tarquette, uh, then that's known as Power Bond. And then we have a 12 foot Broadloom as well still. So there's a lot of different uh, components from the well, you, 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 you said 12 foot still does that mean that there's not much of it yeah the the 12 foot market the broadloom as we call it in the industry broadloom market has reduced tremendously compared to the carpet tile carpet tile is pretty much almost taken over the entire flooring market so when you say taken over, are you talking sixty percent or ninety percent? I would prob. I don't have the exact figures. I would have to say that it's over sixty percent. Uh, that's now uh, commercial carpet tile. If you look in the the last the last stages of Broadloom are hospitality, uh, hotel rooms, which are now starting to go carpet tile. Uh, large venues like convention centers, which are now going carpet tile. Uh, those types of applications are are now turning into carpet tile applications, whereas for a long time, all hotel rooms were a $6 a square yard, solution dyed, eighth gauge, broadloom, because they get changed out every two to three years. Um, with manufacturing cost of carpet tile, the sheer volume of carpet tile being made, the change in the types of backings, now we're able to furnish a carpet tile for a little bit more than a broadloom, and you still you get now you can change one or two tiles out, or when they move move the bed and change things out from under the bed. I mean, those are all kinds of options you can do. A lot of people don't do those things, but those are options that are often sold at uh, at the time that the person or the company buys the material. Well, you know, I used to remember working with some hotels uh, near the uh, uh, St. Louis Airport uh, back when I was in Missouri. And, you know, one of the things that uh, the guy said is you cleaned the carpet too well. I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? He says, oh, no, no, you keep cleaning it that well. I can't replace it every six years. Right. So what gives? Well, the technology and carpet fiber has changed tremendously over the years. And before uh, there was a lot of topical applications given everybody's heard the name dupont stain master or 3m stain release those are <laughs> those are names and optical of, brighteners right yeah exactly those are names of uh topical solutions that were put on the top of the carpet after it was manufactured in order to protect it from soiling and from staining uh in that it works on uh chart basically negatives 
and positive charges. So if the yarn is positive and the stained or the, I shouldn't say the staining agent, but the uh, protectant agent, the topical is negative and they run it through a vat uh, and heat the yarn up to open the pores on it. And then the staining or the uh, protectant is added to it in a hot situation. Uh, and that is attracted to the positive yarn, the negative agent is attracted to the positive yarn and uh, creates a locked stain resistance. And back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, that was the main stain protection that was given the carpet. And over time, as the carpet got older, 6, 8, 10, 12 years, as it's been hot water extracted, walked on, traffic, vacuumed, that stain resistance actually wears off. And then you have a fiber sitting there open that's positively charged and coffee, tea, Kool-Aid, red wine, those kinds of things are all negatively charged. And when they hit that fiber, the fiber is actually attracted to it. So it, has, it does have an affinity for those acid-based stains and it's attracted in the carpet stain. So back years ago, that's why carpet stained easier when it got older is because the protectant had worn off of it. Um, you know, now, 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 thing is, so you're following my lead this morning about talking about age here. Thank you right. very much. Right. You're taking me <laughs> here now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even mention the date. Now you know it was like 20, 25 years ago that, you know, that this customer said this. And so what did we do? We sprayed on some stuff. We put on something that had breakers in it. Um, so these right. things aren't required anymore, right? Right. So the first answer to that was the chemical companies came out with uh, cleaning agents that had actual optical brighteners in it. Uh, so these optical brighteners would actually attach their set themselves to the soil that was in the carpet and it would refract light um, and hide the soil. So that's why you would hear people talking about, well, that, you know, that stain, it must be all under my carpet because, you know, after the carpet cleaner leaves two months and, the stain comes right back. And actually what's happening is that optical brightener was actually wearing off like stain protection and worn off. And that's what happened. I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg, but they started, the industry started realizing that maybe we could use some of this technology to uh, change the way that fiber acted. So there was a chemist for a certain company that came out with an idea to negatively charge carpet or use a cationic charge or cationic yarn within the, the fiber. And what that did was made the fiber not have an affinity for acid-based stains. So most of the most common stains in, in the business are the things that I've always, that I rattle off coffee, tea, Kool-Aid, red wine. Those are all red dye number 40. Those are all commonly acid-based stains. So if you develop a fiber that has the same, charge on the molecular level that the stain does, the fiber then no longer has an affinity for those stains. So it, I always use the example of with magnets. So if you put two magnets together, positive and positive, they re repel each other. And that's how the staining worked. When this technology came out, it was revolutionary. And when and was that? That was around 1991 was when that technology first was marketed. So we're talking 30 years ago. Correct. That's when it very first one company started it, and that's when it started being marketed. 
um, under a brand name, and then it just took off from there. But it took three years for all of us to wake up that things were changing. Oh, yeah, most definitely, because a lot of people didn't have the technology. It was patented, secret. They didn't know what they were doing to the fiber, why it was working that way. Uh, as time went on, you know, they started figuring that out, and some of the other companies have got involved with it. Um, you know, a lot of most of the major manufacturers now have some kind of cationic system that they use. Not all, but some do. Um, it's more apparent in a type 6, 6 fiber than it is in a type 6 fiber. Um, it's harder to do it in a type 6 to make it a cationic fiber. There is a company that has that technology. They're using it now, marketing it that way. So um, what it's turned out to be is you got to have – you have less chemical to clean the carpet. So you can just use, if you're going to do a hot water extraction system, uh, you know, quarterly or twice a year, then that system uh, can be used only with hot water. You don't need any additives, any, um, you know, soaps or detergents in order to clean the carpet. You just use water. Because now, is, the most this is this technology you're talking about this morning, Sean, is this just for Broadland? No, it's at the fiber level. So it's not, it's actually starts when the far fiber is extruded. So it's not, it's, it's at the very, you know, it takes pieces to make parts and parts make things. So this is at the pieces level. So when they make the fiber, whether if the manufacturer purchases the fiber or if they're extruding it themselves, that's where that process takes place. And then well, and yeah, folks, this is what I wanted Sean to explain to you this morning is, you know, so many times that I get questions, well, you know, I, I, I don't have broadening, I've got carpet tiles. So what you're trying to say to us this morning is we've got to look at the material that we're getting and we're putting down now or that we're maintaining because it doesn't matter what the, the what I call the put up, the, you know, the way that it comes to us, it matters what it is. No, it doesn't matter if it's a SUV or if it's a sedan or if it's a truck. It it's it still, you know, has fiber in it and that fiber is constructed a certain way. It needs to be cleaned a certain way. So um, trying to determine what the product is and what the fiber is is very helpful and trying to get a copy of the maintenance instructions from the manufacturer. That's that's the best way to do it, but that's typically, as you know, not what happens. The the carpet the carpet is installed typically during the day. It is um, uh, the transaction between myself and the end user is during the day. Then the guy a month later is called, hey, you need to go clean the sandals building over at FSU uh, tonight. So he shows up with his uh, carpet cleaning machine and he starts cleaning carpet at 11 o'clock at night. And Nobody told him what it's made out of. Nobody told him what the the yarn is or if it's carpet tile, if it's broad loom. He's just cleaning carpet. So a lot of times that information doesn't get disseminated down to the person actually running the machine. And okay, so now, so now you're starting to talk about the maintenance part of it, Sean. So right. what, you're, what I'm hearing you tell us this morning is should we be communicating – everything before the maintenance starts or, or how, how's this going to happen? I mean, there, there's a breakdown what you're saying. Yeah. What, so if you, you follow a project through, let's say it's a brand new building for anybody, for any end user, let's say ABC university, it's a brand new building. 
the I meet personally, Sean DeVore meets with the architectural design firm and we specify a product together that they either the end user has some interest in or maybe doesn't have any interest in. The architect's telling them everything. And that that product gets specified, gets bid out through the sub through the GC under his subcontractors. A subcontractor wins the job <clears throat> and installs it. And once they get to the installation phase, once it's done, as part of the submittal package, they have to submit the maintenance documents. That goes in a three-ring notebook. It probably gets put on somebody's shelf <laughs> and never makes it to the maintenance director, EVS director. You know what, so it's my job. Sounds, that, that, that kind of sounds like uh, my conversation with my wife this weekend. She works at one of the entertainment venues down here in Orlando, and, and she was talking about MSDS. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's SDS. Oh, yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, we got that. But she said, we were trying to find the book, and it's on the top shelf back in the corner. It's covered up by – yeah, it's like yeah. we got it, but don't don't ask anybody to find it, right? Right. We so, have no idea what's in it. One of the things that I try to do with the end users that I'm involved with, it's my customers, especially on larger projects, <clears throat> is once I know that project has been installed – then I contact the EVS director or the maintenance director or the facility director and try to get an appointment to set up a time to go and talk about maintenance. I just did this for a, a school. Uh, we were successful winning, a, or I was successful winning a large project at a high school. I called the facility and then meet with. Sorry, sorry, my phone rang. Um, can I come in and meet with your EVS director and let's talk about how we're going to clean these new LVT floors and, and how we're going to clean the carpet because I also did the carpet. So you, I try to supplement that by meeting with the end user and, and overcoming that. But a lot of times, you know, in a lot of situations, it doesn't happen. Either the person doesn't return my call or um, I get busy doing something else and I don't follow up on the call. So that, that is definitely a breakdown in the system because there's a lot of different carpets out there and a lot of different systems. And you can even talk about, get into how it was installed. Was it installed with a pressure sense of adhesive or was it installed with tabs or was it installed with a permanent adhesive? Was it over a wood sub four, concrete sub four? I mean, what, what's the substrate? <clears throat> there's all kinds of different things that also go into it, not just knowing the fiber. So those all those things, what you're saying, the reason you're mentioning this, because do they make as much difference or what? I guess I'm, I'm hearing that it makes a difference. How much? So if you have a flooring carpet tile installed with tabs, tabs are from different manufacturers. Some of them are three by 10 inches long. Some are, you know, three inches square, four inches square. <clears throat> and they go on the four corners of the carpet tile. The carpet tile essentially is floating. There's no adhesive. Ah. So in some situations, if you have a truck-mounted unit that's really strong, has really strong suction, you would be more, you know, you would have more knowledge on how much suction one of those trucks has. You know, there's in and out. There's how much pressure steam goes into the carpet, and then there's how much suction comes out. You could actually pull the carpet tiles off the floor. You could well, lift them. Tabs is what you're doing. Yeah, you're pulling them off the tab because so if the person running the machine has his finger on the trigger on the vacuum cycle and lifts the, the wand off the floor with it on vacuum cycle, 
he could actually lift it out of the tab. Whether, you know, instead of just leaving it on the floor, pulling it back, releasing the vacuum cycle, then going back and pulling it back again. So you could typically do that. You know, you could possibly do that in a situation, maybe in a weird situation. You had one operator that was doing something wrong the entire day. He could screw up a whole installation. So were tabs uh, common? Yeah, there's a couple manufacturers that they really push it almost every job that they do. I, I don't, I don't like hit them on high, extremely high traffic areas, and I don't like them in areas where you have like a call center where you have maybe four people for every hundred square feet with a systems furniture, people rolling around on chairs. I don't, I don't like them in that situations. So I, I prefer adhesive whenever possible. But so there what are you're some situations. Still is the maintenance, the maintenance guy doesn't know all these things. So if we just use one generic program and practice we could run into issues because we're not well we're not in yeah. of what's happening yeah you could i mean just knowing that it's installed that way that hot water extraction is not going to affect that installation method and and probably wouldn't affect it definitely if you have a machine but uh a portable machine but a truck mounted unit might cause a problem might might not you know but those are all things that that you know that roll into it Okay, so you also mentioned uh, pressure-sensitive adhesive. Is there permanent adhesive? The permanent adhesive uh, is – the answer to that is no, not in carpetile situation, unless it was installed improperly. There's – the pressure-sensitive adhesive is just what it says. It's pressure-sensitive. So you, you either trial the adhesive on or roll it on, and when you roll it on – uh, or trial it on, you allow it to have a flash. So typically goes on as one color. And then once it flashes, it changes color either to clear or to green or depending on the manufacturer, it'll change color. So you, you know that it's, it's changed. So the idea of that adhesive is that it's tackified. So it doesn't transfer to the back of the carpet tile and it's just tacky. So you, uh, put the carpet tile into it, and then in the future, if you wanted to remove a tile, you can pull it up. There's a lot of different components go into that. When you're installing that pressure-sensitive adhesive, if the installer is a little heavy-handed with the trial, and maybe he put it in a little bit early, that adhesive then becomes more permanent because it sets up as it's bonded to the back of the tile. Sometimes and so that's areas, why when you pull up some of the tiles, then you have adhesive on the back of it because of improper uh, Correct, and it makes... It makes that tile unusable in the future because you've stretched it. So once it's a, you know, it's a textile. So if you have to grab it on the one corner and you just peel it back, it's not going to fit back into that spot. Right. Cause not properly. It. it won't, it it's won't stretched. fit back anyway. Right. You're damaged the tile. If, if it's truly in a, in a, a more permanent type adhesive, if it's in a true pressure sensitive and they, everything, humidity was lower that day or if it was in an air-conditioned space like it should be when it was installed and they allow it to flash the proper time then yes you should be able to pull it out of the adhesive um, and then put another one in its place or replace that tile if you're doing something with that particular tile for some reason and so as you're talking about all of this you, you know you're talking about the, the fibers that make up the parts of the, the, the tile uh, mm -hmm. that's got carpet on the face we're talking about the length of the tile on the the face of the of it. Uh, we're talking about the adhesive. What about the backing that all of this? I mean, it makes a tile of carpet. I mean, is that important too? 
Sure. Uh, back in the 1991, 19, you know, 89 <laughs> time. Exactly. So that. Back then, every carpet tile manufacturer's backing was polyvinyl chloride, PVC. It was very heavy. Uh, you know, PVC starts out as a mix, a powder, and it gets turned into a, a, a liquid emulsion. And that a liquid carpet tile is made six foot wide. And then that emulsion in a manufacturing process is then added to the back of the product um, six foot wide. So it encapsulates the yarn bundle on the back and makes the backing permanently adhered to the face fiber <clears throat> so it'll never delaminate or come apart unless there's something wrong with the mix or if there's a claim but in a properly manufactured situation then the the yarn bundle is encapsulated with the backing and it's permanent so <clears throat> that's how everybody's backing has always been made uh you know when carpet tile was invented then it's clicked what we call clicked into tile which means a die comes down and actually chops the tiles out and whatever size that that manufacturer happens to be making with these knives so the tiles are actually you know stamped out um so after that was the way it was originally made because nylon is kind of unstable it absorbs a lot of moisture out of the air the humidity um it wants to move around and that heavy pvc backing just held it down it just laid flat so as technology evolved and systems changed and the environmental you know, concerns changed, uh, you know, the global warming and the recycling and sustainability. There's a lot of pushes on that in, in, in our side of the business to get away from PVC, polyvinyl chloride. Also the use of plasticizers going down the things that make that backing great. You could roll it up in a roll, the carpet tile, you know, and it wouldn't break the back. It was very pliable. It was very flexible, but it had a lot of plasticizers in it. So, all that stuff has, has pretty much been gone away with, uh, with every manufacturer. Um, there's a couple manufacturers that were leaders that came out with poly, uh, polypropylene backings. Uh, there was one manufacturer took a big hit. They jumped into it 100%, and those backings failed. They were curling and cupping and doming and all kinds of stuff happening. So, But for the most part, with the exception of a couple of manufacturers, every backing is some type of hard back. Um, that encapsulates the yarn bundle. It's made up of different chemicals than it was 20 years ago. The carpet tiles are, uh, are 30 years ago, and the carpet tiles are lighter now. They don't weigh as much because there's not all that weight in the back. Oh, don't um, you know it? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you had any of those from 30 years ago, you know the difference. Yeah, you pick up a carpet tile box from 30 years ago, and it's a lot heavier than one today. Oh, yeah. And that's... The technology's changed. There's a lot of fiberglass interliners in them now for dimensional stability to make them lay flat, um, to try to help that nylon. And there's a lot of uh, time spent on the machine with tension to cut down on the tension between the yarn, how tight something's sewn. You know, like if you're, if you can imagine um, sewing up a, a buttonhole in a shirt. And if you get to the end of that buttonhole and you cinch it up, it'll just tighten that buttonhole completely up. It's not flat. So if you have a yarn uh, system when you're installing it, and that's a crude analogy, but if, if you got a machine and it's the servo motor's pulling a lot on that one particular line, you'll get a low line or high line, or it'll put tension in the backing that'll cause that carpet tile to cup or curl or dome. Um, you know, once it's installed, it won't lay flat. 
So there's a lot of that improvement's been done on the machines to, to improve the technology as well as the backing systems. The temperatures are more um, even now in the backing systems. It's, it's just a, the technology has came so far, like it has on everything, to allow so for lighter you, backings, more sustainable backings. And I was just about to ask, so, so as you were talking about that, I'm wondering about the sustainability of the whole carpet tile now versus 30 years ago, you know, recycling and all that stuff. So that's it. That's a, we could have an entire call on carpet recyclability. So oh, there's really? a lot of, yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's okay, a huge. Well, I, I asked a question. Let's table that for later then. Yeah. I, I mean, I can. What do you want to talk about today was maintenance, but I, I thought it was interesting in, in, in what you and I have talked about. And the reason I enjoy you coming on because you can talk about this part of it, which very often we don't talk about in maintenance mm. industry. Right. We don't, we don't talk about everything that you spent 30 minutes here talking about. Right. And I find that well, interesting because, you know, I've, I've sold chemicals, clean carpets for decades now. And, and yes, um, I worked, you know, very closely with a low moisture system and they were probably the only ones that really went into a lot of detail on how carpets made, how it's put together, the fibers and everything. And everybody used to get so upset with them and said, Hey, I just want to go grab a hot water extractor, put some chemical on it and do it. And, right. and, and they said, no, you've got to understand all this. I mean, we actually went to Racine, Wisconsin and spent three days in classes and, and stuff before we could sell their system and, and go out in the marketplace. And I think it's interesting how many people today, as you just said, just go to the shelf, grab something and start cleaning. Yeah, because it, it, this this goes back to way up podcast a while back that you and I talked about. It had to do with hot dog buns. Uh, um, oh, here we go again. Yeah, no. so, so folks, why if don't... you haven't heard the hot dog buns, I, I got to tell you, Sean's going to tell you about it. But you need to go back and search through this, some of the archives of the podcast because uh, the first time it's like, what the heck, Sean? What are we talking about here? <laughs> so, so hang on, here it comes. Why doesn't the hot dog manufacturers talk to the bun manufacturers and put the same amount of hot dogs in the package that's in the hot dog buns? There's got to be a, there's a reason it has to do with machining or equipment or something. I mean, one of them should be able to, but the two don't talk. And that's one of the biggest things that I have an issue with in my industry is that when I first started in the business back in 1991 in a carpet store in Tallahassee, Florida, I asked the guy who owned the store, why don't we sell vacuum cleaners? And I had never been in the business before. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm the rookie, the greenest guy you could ever imagine. I'm 21 years old, just out of college. And I, he goes, I don't know. We don't, we've never done that. And he was like, at the time, Art was 60 something years old. And I'm like, doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like we should give one away or at least have them here in the store and sell them with it because, you know, it just makes sense. Yeah, you're and, selling uh, carpets. So, I mean, you should go right along with it, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, you, I actually have to actively seek out someone such as yourself or a uh, supplier for cleaning machines or maintenance. I'm friends with numerous people that, that clean and take care of flooring now because that's how I like to go to market. If an end user asks me, hey, what's the best system to clean your carpet? 
yeah, I want to have somebody that I can recommend that I trust sure. that can go and do it and, and um, you know, provide service for the product that we sell. And right. that is a weakness in our business. We do not, we do not encapsulate, I've used that word before today, but we do not encapsulate <laughs> the service and we do not encapsulate the installation as part of our business. And we've tried a couple of times throughout the years. It's like when the United States tried to go to the metric system, it just didn't work. You know, we, we tried to single source on the commercial side. One of the manufacturers said, hey, we're going to purchase all these dealers and you're going to have like a Ford dealer and a Chevy dealer. So you're going to have a Shaw dealer and a Mannington dealer and a, a Mohawk dealer. And they tried it, but it didn't work because the general contractor side of the business fought back and said, no, we got to have three fair bids. You can't just have a certified one certified person put in your product. And they fought it so hard that it just fell away and didn't happen. Um, so tying that service side to the business has been a difficult part of the business, trying to get people to understand. And, you know, there's chemical salespeople, there's flooring salespeople, there's a machine equipment salespeople, and they all have their own, you know, mousetrap that they want to try to sell. And, and that's, and nobody's communicating. So that's why I bring up the hot dog and the bun thing is like, why can't we just communicate? You know, and, you know and figure out. I, I thought it was interesting because, yeah, this weekend, you know, I had my birthday and stuff, and and one of the people said, "Well, you know, what do you want us to bring?" And my wife said, "Hot dog buns." And I, <laughs> 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 I got to tell you, Sean, I did think about it because the thing is, is she bought brats, which are larger than a regular hot dog. And right. So I looked at the guy and I said, "No, no, 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 no." Not the little shorty hot dog buns. What you need to get is you need to get some hoagie buns because that those 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 brats are bigger. They'll stick out, and you can't wrap that little bitty hot dog right. bun around that. And and, and uh, I, I thought about it. I thought it is funny that you mentioned it this morning because I thought <laughs> you know what you were, she really needed to have a brat bun. Not she needed to have a brat bun. bun. Yeah, a hoagie bun. Yeah, like a hoagie <laughs> bun or something. Yeah, <laughs> and then you bring it up this morning, and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Uh, well, you're at the right place at the right time, is what I like to say when stuff like that happens. You know? uh, the, the, folks, if you understand, we love having the podcast, and we find so many things. And I think this is the interesting thing about the podcast, as we've done it over over the years, is that you know, as you can tell, folks, we just have general conversation. We love what we do. We're passionate about what we do. I want to interject right here at this moment. Uh, we are sponsored by Jim Supply. They are a supplier of goods and services uh, here in Central Florida, four locations. We thank them very much for their sponsorship. They've been providing cleaning supplies that help save lives for over 80 years. Uh, without their sponsorship, we wouldn't have the time to be able to uh, to do this podcast. Hopefully it's good for you. Um Sean, you know, I love talking with you about these kind of things, but it's it's the fact is what I heard you earlier say, no chemicals needed. Yes. So the technology now has made it to the point that most most manufacturers on the commercial side at least have, and I can't really speak for the residential side. My experience is on commercial, but yeah, that's most of the manufacturers. Yeah, most of the manufacturers on the commercial side are at a point to where you're just using uh, no 
detergents on the carpet. It's just hot water extraction or a dry chemical system or a combination of both. I like to recommend both uh, because you have, there's different types of uh, issues with cleaning carpet. You have everyday soiling, which is dry soil. And then you have staining, which is a completely different thing. Uh, and you have uh, wear or uh, traffic patterns. So th- all those things can be compiled together to create a maintenance program that helps verify. And no two buildings are the same. You can have complete. I used to do a bank a bank account down in Miami, and they had the banks on Brickell Avenue. They wanted to set up a maintenance program. Had a completely different program where everybody was walking on sidewalks than the one out in West Aid where all the roofing guys or construction guys came in. It's completely different banks. We even ended up specifying different carpets and different products for those banks out there because they got different traffic levels. Right. So it's, it's actually keys in on both. I mean, my, my experience is um, vacuum as much as possible using uh, a pile lifter, um, which is a a vacuum on steroids to actually pile lift and clean dry soil out of the carpet. The more dry soil you can remove from the, the actual product, every day on a daily basis, including walk-off and entryway systems, is going to help prevent premature wear into the product. So if you think about a sand crystal, is like a little little sand spur or razor blades, the more sand that's in a product and as, as it's trafficked on and agitated around into the carpet fiber, it's going to break down the, the actual fiber and cut it and, and reduce the uh, resiliency or the response back bounce back of the product and cause it to untwist and create those traffic and wear patterns that we see. Most of the traffic and wear patterns is created by poor maintenance and poor uh, vacuuming on the dry soil on a daily basis or no walk-off systems. So, 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 you know, everyone, this is one of the things that we talk about in our classes that we have here at the Academy. 80% of the soil that comes in is dry and the largest thing that creates your problem, doesn't matter whether you're here in Florida or anywhere, is sand. One grain of sand has up to 57 cutting edges per grain of sand. Now, the thing that I always talk about here in classes is, uh, and we, we use machinery in classes that people provide for us that meet uh, the criteria that we're wanting. We're not, we're not, we're kind of product agnostic. We really don't care about the manufacturer as long as it, produces the result. And one of the machines we found is a a brush pro with twin brushes. It doesn't actually have a vacuum, but it's very, very efficient at pulling this dry sand and soil from deep in the fibers, no matter what this pile size or style is. And Sean, you know, I've always said 80% of the carpet, uh, the soil is dry. So 80% of the cleaning can be done without anything other than the lifter that's what i've always that's what everybody asks me or the customers that are concerned when they come to me and say well what's your you know your maintenance program what do you i said vacuum 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 if you don't have a pile lifter i recommend a pile lifter but if you don't have a pile lifter then vacuum 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 you keep your beater bars maintained make sure the belts are changed on them try to get a dual motor machine i mean those are all things that because that's the dry soul vacuum 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 I think it's uh, interesting you, how we only vacuum once a day. Right, exactly. But traffic, run, but, but traffic will run 12 hours of a day. But we think that running over it one quick time with an upright vacuum is sufficient. 
uh, you know, every class I always ask, why is it that we only vacuum once a day? And then, and then we want to run over with a, an extractor, you know, uh, and go over it in 15 seconds. And create mud. <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't vacuum enough. Because you didn't vacuum enough, you create mud. And that's, you know, that you introducing water into an environment that has a ton of soil and there's therein lies your problem you're just putting water and creating mud and it's so even that much harder to get you, out you you know about the the, the 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 fabric and the way this is all made and everything are we out of uh touch with things whenever we say run this dual brush machine every hour on your carpet are we tearing the carpet up no is a pile lifter run? You're talking about running every hour? No, I, I didn't say a pile lifter, oh, the one with oh. the vacuum and everything. I'm just saying the dual brush machine that just right. simply brushes it and, and gets the soil up. Uh, if we run it over that carpet every hour, would we tear the carpet up? I would say eventually you're going to, yeah, because the machine's not going to be run properly. So, it, you know, you're probably going to have a person running the machine that's not, maybe not running it. So you have human error that's involved but yeah if you were to run it a pile lifter too much you could possibly because uh, yarn has a memory it's almost like if you imagine getting a permanent with your hair it's like the hair is wrapped around the um so so then the, okay let, 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 let let's then go to if i ran a pile lifter every day once a day and did the deep re dry soil removal but ran an upright vacuum every hour would that be okay Depending on the fiber and the product, yes, I think that's going to boil down to the density of the product and uh, the fiber type because some fibers uh, have a higher melting point and resist friction better than others. So you'd be wanting to, to identify the fiber type before you did that. And then I would recommend that maybe only in your high traffic areas, of course, like your main corridor. And of course, what we're talking about is carpet tiles because this is predominantly what we're putting down. So it's yes, low correct. pile, tight weave. Et cetera, et cetera, right? Right. So I would say on a on a on a pile lifting situation, I would probably pile lift uh, depending on your soiling and what your environment is calling for, I would pile lift twice a week and vacuum every every day as many times as you could vacuum. Vacuuming the carpet's not gonna hurt it with a conventional and, and, vacuum. And, and, and this is what we're talking about. Vacuuming, even with a two motor vacuum, brand new, good brush and everything. Only works on the top one third of the carpet five fiber itself. Correct. And the the deep cleaning. We're not talking about chemical cleaning here, folks. We're talking about dry. dry. I mean, total dry extraction. I mean, this is what I term dry extraction. There's no chemicals involved. This is simply using a brush machine and uh, augmenting that with a vacuum. So we're talking completely dry cleaning. Yeah, I or think I, call, I, I, I think that would be worth a test to find out, uh, you know, how the carpet fiber is going to react. And then you would be testing different types of fiber, type 6 versus 6-6 six, six versus polyester. So you'd have to see. I, I would think on a polyester fiber carpet, a lower-end carpet tile uh, made out of polyester is probably not going to hold up to that. The, the pile lifter will just beat it to death. Well, yeah, uh, but the thing about it is, is what we're talking about, though, is we're building up soils in because we're not removing enough soil. Sure. So the sand's tearing it up. 
So something's going to tear up that carpet fiber no matter what. Correct. So in my, so, you know, so this is the thing I'm always have always been interested. In. Am I really ahead of the game if I would do more soil removal on a daily basis, or am I going to be about the same length of time, but I'm going to have a better looking product and a better sustainable environment that's healthy? Because this is all the thing what we're doing. We're we're, we're cleaning this stuff for health right now. I think that your latter is the answer. You're going to get a better looking product for a little bit longer. So you're going to get, you're not going to get another 20% life out of the product by cleaning it more often, but the extra five to 10% that you get, well, it will look better that, that entire time. Well, and the health factor of it, it would have to be greatly improved. Sure. I mean, my, my, my argument has always been when I used to talk about hot water extraction only is that a carpeted area is truly a cleaner area because the carpet acts as an air filter and it traps soil, doesn't allow it to, to rise up into the air uh, like a hard surface does. And then when you come in to clean it, you, you introduce a, a, an agent to it with this water and you, you make it even heavier than air. And then you extract it through a, a, a hose and put it in a truck. So it's, it's not even exposed to the atmosphere. So in theory, literal theory, a carpeted floor keeps the air cleaner than a hard surface floor does. If all of the, all the things are followed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so as you say this, if I were to, to uh, brush the carpet, let's say brush the carpet twice a week, vacuum multiple times a day during the week, Mm -hmm. when I use a water extractor, I could simply rinse the carpet. Yep, that's the plan. Chemical people aren't going to like us. No, they don't. They don't like us on the hard surface side, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I think this is where some and, and folks who we've talked about the luxury vinyl product, and there's no need for um, topical dressings for luxury vinyl if we take care of them. And here we are this morning, Sean talking about if we would simply remove dry soils more efficiently, all we need to do is rinse the carpet tiles from here on out. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not because the soap or the detergent that's added to the product um, leaves a residue and, and that residue then attracts soil and then you get a buildup and it gets worse and worse. And, uh, so the best thing to do is not use any soap unless you need an, an emulsifier to emulsify an oil stain or grease or, you know, some other kind of stain. Yeah, we all, we always have spots that are created. Right. That, but, we're talk, but that's spot cleaning. That's not carpet. That's staining. Yeah, that's staining. Yeah, that's not that's, – that's a whole different thing. Right. You know, so um, I'm thinking – we're if we're so concerned about our environments these days because of the pandemic and because of the flu that's supposed to be coming here soon for the next year that they say is going to be astronomically bad uh then, then the thing is is we've got to consider that we need to change the way that we're maintaining these carpeted areas with the same emphasis on health because if we don't we're not creating a healthy environment Correct. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're at, you're adding too much chemical, or if you're not vacuuming properly, or pile lifting properly, or taking care, of the everything that's in the air is going to be in the carpet. Yeah. So one of the things that I've always promoted is using as simple a chemistry, as safe a chemistry as far as my MSDS and pH is concerned, and so uh, you know over the years I've I've really adapted the hydrogen peroxide-based products because of the free rinsing, the low residues, the safety. Um, and, you know, to me, this brings us back to where we minimize all of our procedures, our, our skills training, our knowledge base, and all of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, as long as we're maintaining a, the, the proper pH, on the carpet and the uh, um, the amount of detergent used on the product, if any used at all in, in the vacuuming process, I think you're in a good, that's the proper way to go. And the less is more. I always, you know, to the layperson who's in an office um, and has a stain in their office and they ask me what to do, I said, the first thing you do is get a white terry cloth towel with warm water and dampen the towel and wipe the stain. If the stain comes off, then all you're going to need is water to clean it. Uh, if it doesn't come off, or bubble, or if it bubbles up, somebody's already put something on it. <laughs> or if it doesn't bubble up and it doesn't come off, then it's probably oil or grease or something. And then you address it in that way. But you have to start with the simplest method first, and then move up from there. Well, we could we could talk about uh, this stuff for a long time, but you know we're we're facing uh, here close to our hour already again today, Sean. Yeah, I know. It goes by quickly. <laughs> it certainly does. Um, so what's on the, the uh, big agenda for September for you? Well, the September, my daughter is expecting her second child sometime between the 17th and the 20th. So we're kind of on standby for that. They live in Chattanooga. So as soon as we get the call, we leave as, uh -huh. as quick as we can. Um we did it. We would have been, you and I would have been at F F FSPMA this week, uh, but that was canceled. Um, so I got that going on. Um, it's time for to get geared up for hunting season. I'll be planting my plot uh, coming up this weekend and working on my tree stand. And that's non-work related. And work related, I'm just trying to do as much as I can. Mannington has taken a... a, a we have a, a semi, an 18-wheeler that's traveling around the country right now, and it's we're on the go. And that semi is coming to Jacksonville, Florida on September 30th. It'll be there from 7 a.m. to 4.30 at the uh, Florida Cracker Kitchen in San Marco in Jacksonville. And then October 11th, Monday, October 11th, it'll be in Savannah for that day from like 11 to 4 at the Savannah Golf Club. And in the parking lot stage there, we'll have food trucks at Savannah. And um, we're going to be using the great food at the Florida Cracker Kitchen in San Marco for the event uh, September 30th. So that's going to have me busy getting prepared for that. Those wow. two events. Um, a lot of pressure because you got, you know, put out invitations. Hopefully, you know, that's a lot of money for Mannington, the company, to, to bring that truck around the country uh, and to bring it into for me to be fortunate to have it brought into 
two locations in my territory. Uh, a lot of people throughout, you know, the middle part of the country and stuff didn't get an opportunity to get that truck. It's going to be in Orlando. Um, it's not going to Tampa. I don't think they're going to Miami either. So it's, it's very, I'm very fortunate to have it come through my area. Um, so that's, I want to have a busy month this month. Well, Hey, you need to send me those dates and where the locations are and put those in the podcast notes. And, okay. uh, who knows? I may have to, uh, visit you at the truck. That's right. Please do. I could definitely give you the Orlando date. Uh, when that's coming up and you can go buy that truck or the oh, same truck, so just different location. Right. Yeah. Glad, glad I asked the question. I have no idea. Yeah. So that's, that's what's uh, coming up. So I got a really busy month this month. I, I do have to ask here before we let you go today, Sean, uh, where, where are we at on the truck? Uh, your truck. Not, not, not the Mannington truck, but your truck. Right. Well, the big truck has been fixed. Uh, I upgraded the bumper to an Iron Cross uh, off-road bumper with a winch uh, after my wife, uh, or excuse me, when I failed to fix the brakes and my wife crashed the truck. And then the truck that's under construction right now is he's uh, finished with all the body work on the bed. And uh, my last knowledge was he was taking, a, taking the Lincoln Continental apart in order to get the chassis exposed so he can start getting motor, uh, body mounts set up on that chassis to accept the 1968 uh, body. So that's that's all coming. It's, it's moving along. So, so folks, if, if you have no idea what, what he's talking about, you're going to have to go back and listen to some of the podcasts because we did one and he was talking about all of the stuff with the, the trucks that he's working on and stuff. You know, I think that's the thing. This is why we call the show Beyond Clean because we do more than just clean and you know so much of what people think about in the cleaning industry is now oh, well we just go clean toys clean carpet and that's that and everything but folks i think as you heard today you know there is a lot that goes into this and we just talked about carpet and we didn't talk about all of it but there's so much more that goes into what goes on the floor that you walk on that we're challenged with maintaining and I do appreciate, Sean, your professional uh, look into this because, hey, every time we talk, I learn a little bit of something because you know, I still have to wrap my head around positive and negative and chemicals and fiber. And, you know, I'm not sure that I get it right if I try to say it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot goes into it. There's a lot of detail into the, you know, and every industry is the same way. I don't care if you're making a business card or if you're making carpet tile. It's, I mean, there's different industry standards and special intricacies of every product that's manufactured that that had, if you're not involved in the industry you don't know about it. so sean how can they get hold of you to learn more if they got intrigued today so you can reach me on email at sean.devore at mannington.com s-e-a-n dot d-e-v as in victor o-r-e at mannington.com m-a-n-n-i-n-g-t-o-n or you, I didn't cut him off. Yeah, I didn't cut him off. He went blank on us. I, I swear I did not cut you off. <laughs> My cell phone is 352-630-9884, 352-630-9884. Um, 
feel free to check out manningtoncommercial.com and call me with any questions you might have about flooring. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Uh, Sean, thank you very much for being on today. And folks, we thank you for listening. Uh, we saw some people here on the live feed come on and off. We thank you for joining us. We're on Facebook, Instagram. We've got YouTube videos, of course, here at the Academy. It's www.academyofcleaning.com. Appreciate Jim Supply sponsoring our program. And whatever you do between now and the next time you listen to us, make sure it's healthy, positive, and proactive. Thanks, Sean. Talk to you later. See you, Dave. Bye.